This is French Tech Podcast, where you'll find interviews of tech ecosystem actors sharing their stories with La French Tech London. We hope you enjoy it. Today, I am truly delighted to welcome Cynthia Nadal. She's the MD FinTech at Founders Factory in London. Cynthia, you have a strong experience in technology, and what strikes me is you combine both investment expertise with the knowledge of how to scale a successful business. This seems uh, particularly relevant for your current role at Thunders Factory right now. Could you please tell us more about it? Sure, thank you for having me, Hélène. Um, Thunders Factory is an accelerator as well as a venture builder. We are backed by eight uh, corporates, uh, which means we also have eight sectors, which are media, retail, beauty, we also have travel, home and hygiene, edtech, AI, and obviously fintech, which is the one that I'm leading. And um, the way we function, we build two ventures from scratch, literally every year per sector. And we also invest in, about, in uh, five startups every year per sector as well. So that's about um, 56 corporates every year. Uh, and we've been at it for four years already. So we've already invested and worked with more than 120 startups. This is quite impressive, actually. Um, and so has this work been somehow impacted by the crisis we are going through at the moment from an entrepreneur perspective or from an investor perspective? Yes, evidently. I mean, the, the COVID crisis has been huge and has had an impact on the whole tech ecosystem. So for us at Fondus Factory, uh, let's say from an entrepreneur point of view, so building um, startups from scratch in the, in the studio, it, not everything has changed in the sense that we kept on investing in our studio concept and we decided to, to keep on building new ventures. So from that point of view, nothing has changed. The one thing that has changed are the themes uh, that we've been working on. We've been brainstorming a lot of different themes with the whole of our team, uh, which is more than 70 people. We've really tried to leverage the power of the crowd here. And we've been looking at themes like, you know, how will people eat and shop, you know, in the new world, how they will be spending and saving, how will they play and entertain, and how they will be looking after themselves. The one thing maybe that I would point out that did change is perhaps the way we've been hiring and looking at our entrepreneur in residence. I think until now, it was just much easier to hire people in London or in the UK. And I think now this crisis has created an opportunity for us to look for talent much further away. And then your question was on investing, right, Ellen? Yeah, that's right, because your uh, role at Founders Factory is really dual. I mean, you build startups, but you also inject capital. So tell us more about that angle as well and how the crisis is maybe impacting your role as an investor. Sure. So as an investor on the accelerator side as well, um, we have not really slowed down. Um, we haven't stopped deploying funds, uh, which is a bit, I know, uh, unusual and unexpected. We've invested in 30 ventures, I think, since March of this year and we're still on track to do another 35 additional investments um, before year end. Um, the one thing I guess that has changed is what we're looking for. We're very much aware that people won't have as much disposable income and that companies will also be focused on savings and efficiency for a while. So I would say we're much more focused on painkillers rather than vitamin, regardless of whether it is for B2C or B2B. Interesting. I, I like this analogy of painkiller and vitamin. And <laughs> 
to that extent, you know, your model is also very much built on the strong relationship and partnership with a large corporate. Are you giving them painkillers or vitamins uh, in that <laughs> partnership? Is it modifying the relationship or the way they want to work with you? So the relationship with the corporates, uh, it hasn't changed, I guess, but um, yes, we're definitely much more focused now on painkillers for sure. You know, we're still their partner for their innovation strategy. Of course, for some innovation won't be a priority given the current and, and unprecedented crisis. And we know they will need to focus on just surviving first and prioritizing their employees. But for others, I would bet that innovation will accelerate because this crisis provides really an opportunity for them to, to double down and, and get market shares. That makes sense. So you mentioned employee and uh, you know, in your role, clearly you manage you know, a team, you also work with a number of colleagues uh, at Sanders Factory. So, Thinking of you as a manager, uh, how easy has it been to adjust to remote working with your team? And uh, do you have any tips you can share to facilitate that transition? Do I have any tips? Well, I can tell you that uh, two or three weeks before the lockdown, we were extremely anxious because the nature of our job is literally back-to-back -back meetings and face-to-face -face meetings with you know, the funders from our portfolio, the funders we are scouting, um, the ones that we're trying to invest in, our own investors and, you know, the corporate partners. So I don't think we thought that we could make it work remotely. And to our surprise, we actually adapted pretty fast. The reason why, I mean, I don't know, I think it's just the way we were set up in the first place. We all already had our own work laptop. We already had uh, all of our documents online, for example, so we didn't have to worry about accessing the office without being in the office, if that makes sense. We didn't have to rely on VPN access, you know, like some of the bigger corporations had to, and, and that created problem. And the other thing, um, it's also maybe because we're in tech, we have, I guess, a lot of people that are pretty young. Uh, we also have a few gray hairs, you know, like me on, on the management team, but I guess, you know, in, on the margin, it's a young company. So we didn't have that many people that got disrupted with children and, and homeschooling. And I think that also had, had an impact. So the consequence really has been that we've been able to do all of our meetings online. You know, we've been able to provide all of our services online without any interruption. And we've even been able to do our investment committees remotely and investor showcases and so on. So tips would be make sure you're prepared no matter what happens in life, but I'm not sure that's easy for everyone. Thanks for your candor. Uh, I, I can imagine, you know, that uh, this was probably an easier transition in your organization, but it did take everybody by surprise and we were all uh, somehow forced through digital one way or another. So talking more about, you know, technical uh, suggestion, maybe have you discovered some tools that are making the life of uh, you and your team easier in terms of lacking this face-to-face -face interaction? Do you have some suggestion here? Yeah, I mean, like everyone else, I think everyone discovered Zoom. <laughs> if you were not already in tech, I think, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure there's that many people in the world now not knowing about Zoom. So we definitely use Zoom and, and Google and Hangouts a lot for meetings. But we also rely on, on other tools, you know, Slack, you know, for our internal communication. Um, weirdly not, we, we're also using WhatsApp a lot. I think it's very important for us to stay close to, to our founders. The one thing that I did discover um, was Miro. I don't know if you know this uh, software, but we do obviously, as you would expect, we do a lot of brainstorming sessions and I didn't think we could survive without our post-it <laughs> to do our sessions. 
And we did discover Miro, uh, which is kind of one way of doing post-its remotely and, and as a team. And I think that's the best software that I discovered during this crisis. The one thing we still haven't cracked is how to do the open hours, you know, with the team uh, for drinks on Friday afternoon. Uh, Zoom is definitely not working for that. So if there are any entrepreneurs listening that can find a solution for this, I would definitely be a taker. That's a great one and a great call for action. So TGIF.com out there, you know, please send your uh, suggestion to uh, FTL and we'll make sure to share with Cynthia. Thank you. So talking about this, you know, I think it's a nice transition to talk about how we keep people engaged and motivated in a time where they don't have the benefits of social interaction and, uh, you know, camaraderie you find in the office around the water cooler, etc. So what do you suggest on that front? What has worked for you? Well, I have to say we are pretty lucky at Founders Factory because we really have a bunch of very creative and fun people. And they have kept uh, entertaining everyone, uh, even remotely. So we've got, for example, on Fridays, we've got at lunchtime either a cook-along competition where participants cook a special dish from their home kitchen, or we've got the radio hour where employees pick songs and joke around. So that's quite fun and, and a very nice way of getting people together. Um, what else are we been doing? Um, we already had on Slack donut time. I don't know if you know this. It's kind of one way of pushing one-on-one coffee times with random people from the company. And since we've been working from home, we've moved the pace from one every two weeks to one every week. I think it was very important for us to, to recognize that some of our employees were leaving alone and, and potentially may have been suffering a bit more from loneliness than others. Um, and then there are other things that... Um, we were already doing, I guess, before the lockdown, like uh, using Inside Out, which is a mental health platform that offers remote online sessions with therapists. And I know we've been advertising it much more since the lockdown. And I can't tell you who is using it, but I can tell you that uh, the usage has been up uh, since people have been working from home. And then we just have, which I think you know, a lot of companies do, we have standing Google Hangout invites for, for lunchtime. So it is in everybody's calendar, and everyone can join if they do not feel like they want to eat alone and they want to meet uh, random people at lunchtime from, from everywhere in the company. And all of our events moved online, uh, including our women's forum and, and every other committees in the company. So that has been great from that point of view. That's very impressive. So uh, you, you mentioned Inside Out, which is a company from your portfolio. You That's correct. Work, yeah, you work across a large uh, group of companies. Uh, being created, invested in, etc. So can you give us some examples of uh, maybe how the crisis has impacted startups in your portfolio and, and maybe impacted positively, you know, as odd as it sounds, crises are also, you know, uh, ripe for opportunities or maybe negatively. What, what have you observed? Sure. Well, from a tech and ecosystem point of view, we've observed, it's been hard for sure. We've observed less deals happening at lesser valuations and, and lesser amounts. Um, that said, you know, I'm pretty happy that our portfolio has been quite resilient. Um, we've seen actually six businesses close fundraising from 100k to 5 million since March. So that's been good from that point of view. Um, and the market is picking up slightly uh, since, um, since end of April. On the portfolio, what you mentioned inside out, um, they've been doing very well, as you would expect. I mean, they are doing mental health and they're doing it remotely. So that was very ideal for them. Um, who else in the portfolio? We've, have, um, we've got Bauer Collective um, that has been um, doing positively, Box Softories on the retailer uh, sector, 
uh, zip about in the travel sector, English and ninjas in the ad sector, uh, all of them, I think, benefited from this um, crisis. Uh, so taking a more macroeconomical approach on this crisis, we've seen packages being deployed by the French government, by the UK government to try and support this uh, innovation ecosystem and the startups out there. Uh, have you had uh, any time to look at it or uh, you know, have you given it some thoughts and do you think it's going to be uh, sufficient to support the startups ecosystem? Sh should something else be done to be more helpful? Well, is it going to be sufficient? I don't know. Do we want it to be sufficient? I'm not even sure. I mean, there is something to be said for supporting our ecosystem and being there for them. I'm not sure we want to be uh, subsidizing it. We, we do want you know, people to be resilient and, and to weather the storm a little bit on their own as well, right? So we need to find a good balance. That said, um, I was quite impressed actually with what the French and the, the German government did. They were very quick to react, uh, much faster than the UK government, which was slightly unexpected. Um, as you know, the French government announced uh, 5 billion, so it was 4 billion in March, and then they added another uh, 1.2 billion last week. And uh, same with the German government, they had already announced 2 billion. So from that point of view, the UK government, you know, they already, they had announced 1.25 package, but, it, you know, we were kind of, I think in the ecosystem expecting a bit more. The 500 million for the future fund was literally oversubscribed on day one. So I think we could be doing more, especially because in the UK, the future fund was not, um, you know, it, it did exclude angels, uh, which was maybe not what the ecosystem was expected. We wanted everyone to be involved, to be able to support startups, especially the early stage one. And there's been a lot of controversy around, you know, the, the future fund and the fact that it was not on purpose and not by design, but the consequence was that it was excluding um, diversity funders or female funders or um, very, very early stage funders or the ones who had bootstrapped until now and may not have had VC backing. That said, you know, we've got to be positive. It's better than nothing. We've got to be taking what we have. There may be more coming. And I'm also very thankful for, you know, a lot of great people in the ecosystem who've been voicing what we needed, uh, including our chairman, actually, Brent Hoffman, uh, who's been very good at voicing to the UK government what we needed. So moving on to um, another perspective on the crisis, do you see new trends emerging? We spoke about, you know, existing startups and how sometimes they have, you know, benefited from this trend towards digital or remote working, but do you see other trends emerging more broadly beyond this one? And are they here to stay? Yeah, uh, so trends, definitely. So if you look at uh, everyone's been using uh, contactless, so I think, uh, you know, for payments, you know, during the, during, since the beginning of the crisis. So I think we're going to see much more contactless payment solution, but not just for payments. You know, I think when you go into your company or building, everything where they, where they were a touch point, I think we will see a, a lot more contactless solutions, not just in payments. Travel is also going to be an interesting one. You would think, you know, with everyone complaining right now, that's not an obvious one, but I do believe people are going to be thinking about what does it mean to travel? Do you want to go far away? Do you want to take more time? Do you want to enjoy the journey as opposed to trying to necessarily go very fast somewhere? So there are going to be a lot of people thinking about that. Future of work is an evident one that everyone has been talking about and uh, retail and home shopping as well. I do believe that there will be uh, a lot of things there. Is it going to stay? Well, yes and no. I think there are some trends that are there for our immediate needs. 
and for what we need right now during the crisis. But uh, some of them, I believe, yes, they were part of evolution. Um, they were part of the increasing use of technology. And I think the crisis just speed up the, um, the adoption of certain technologies. So yes, I do believe some of them will be there to stay for sure. And have you been positively surprised or impressed by some good initiatives that have come out uh, so far, maybe new business models emerging? Yes. Um, so this is, you know, when you have crisis, we tend to focus first on everything that's not going well. And then you get amazing surprise uh, when you see how people react. And I, I have been uh, not only surprised, but also pretty amazed by the empathy, the generosity, the agility that some funders have demonstrated during this crisis. Most wanted to support others in this unprecedented time, and some of them really went above and beyond what was even expected out of them. So I'm thinking about, uh, let's say, Hammock, ChargeUp, and MedShare, and those are just examples. Um, and I, I was, you know, they already had their own business. They didn't have to go beyond and they did. And that was really nice to see. Can you elaborate a bit more on, of course. on those examples? You know, what, what struck you as particularly uh, interesting there? Sure. Well, let's start with Hammock. So this is a platform for lenders. So you would be wondering, you know, what could they possibly be doing during COVID-19? And they literally built overnight this um, SOS supply, which was a, a new platform to help with getting PPE kits for and which included masks and they wanted to get that very fast to organizations that couldn't get organized and that included police forces, um, Brent Council, uh, dozens of hospitals uh, including the Royal Hospital and they were able to distribute I think just the one the first week uh, they launched about uh, 100k worth of, of PPE to be distributed and then since, since the past several months, I know they've distributed at least 8 million pieces of PPE uh, across 250 uh, organizations. That's pretty amazing. It's not like they don't already have a business to run, right? And the other ones I mentioned, I think, ChargeUp. Uh, so ChargeUp, they do on-the-go phone charging. Um, and they've been literally utilizing um, and repurposing their um, stations to do um, hand sanitizing dispensers. And they've been doing it for hospitals, for supermarket, for train stations, for uh, shopping centers. I even heard, I think last week that uh, they closed a deal with TFL to have uh, all of their soap dispensers installed in, I, I believe it's about 1,500 stations across London. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, and, and not that it's unexpected, but they didn't have to and they did. And it's nice to see them um, stepping up. And I think the last one that I, I had mentioned was Mitchell. They already had an app uh, with one million doctors worldwide uh, that they had created. It's called Let's Be the COVID.net. And it's an anonymous survey to provide healthcare services with up to date and free non commercial anonymous data. And it really helps them to track the spread of the virus. And here again, it was extremely helpful and, and supportive for the ecosystem. So great initiatives. Those are brilliant examples. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, I'd like to uh, go back on, um, you know, we spoke about your role as a leader and uh, managing people. Y your role also um, entails recruiting talents for and building new leadership teams for those startups that you incubate, which, you know, surely has to be something really complicated right now that we don't have face-to-face -face interaction and the recruiting process has been somehow modified. So can you tell us more about how you go about it and, uh, and, and you know, how maybe the crisis has impacted your ability to 
uh, to look for this talent pool? Has it changed the talent pool? Yeah, well, look, the impact was, I guess, the same for everyone. It's, it's definitely tougher when you don't see people face to face. The positive, because you always have to also look at the, you know, there are always two sides of, of every coin, right? And there was positive, which was some people were available, great talents that we may not have had access to before. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, you know, now we have a chance to hire people that live further away. And that has given us access to um, a deeper pool of, of talent, which I think is amazing. We haven't really stopped hiring. I mean, we, we have decreased and we have told all of our startups, you know, to be cautious uh, about cost. But we have kept on hiring, especially entrepreneurial residents, because we kept on investing in, in startups and, and in, uh, especially on the studio side. I know we've hired at least 10 people since the lockdown across the studio and the ops team. And I looked at it yesterday. We still have at least 20 roles that we are uh, hiring for. So it's still very active. And some people actually are using the crisis to look for new jobs. I know it sounds a bit odd and unexpected, but some people are realizing that they may not be very happy in their job and they want something else out of life. And they have a bit more time now to look for a job. So they are rethinking you know, their roles and they're thinking about, they're thinking about the impact they want to have in, the, in, in their lives. Um, so it's also bringing new types of talents to us. Interesting. So I want to revisit also uh, the fundraising uh, aspect for the startups. You, you did mention six uh, companies successfully raising in March, which is quite admirable. From what you've observed, do you have uh, any tips to share around how to go about fundraising in a time of a crisis like this one? Uh, I wish I had a magic wand to help everyone fundraising because it's definitely been tough, especially as some of the VCs didn't want, uh, well, some they didn't want uh, to invest. It's quite understandably they've been focused on their own portfolio. I mean, the tips are really around, you know, either you've been making money, in which case, you know, it should be slightly easier for you to fundraise because, you know, you stand out from the crowd a bit more. Uh, and we've talked about the ones who've been doing well. So for those ones, fundraising actually, I think, has been slightly easier. Now, if you haven't been able to make money because, well, maybe there were no users um, or, you know, your service was not needed, I think the thing you need to be thinking about is how are you going to show to the investors that you have been resilient and that you are able to make lemonade out of lemon. So they're going to be, the investors are going to be looking at you and they're going to be thinking, you know, have you used that time to perfect your product, for example? Have you been um, interacting with uh, more users to do testing? Have you retained more users? Have you found opportunities to do brand awareness or to boost the visibility of your brand? Have you grown potentially your waiting list? Have you found creating creative ways to engage with your audience? Have you established perhaps new partnership or have you been using this crisis to show you know, thought leadership? I think it's a matter of showing what the investors want, which is they want great entrepreneurs. They want people who will be able to adapt to any type of situation. So if you can show that you were able to adapt to this crisis, I think that's the best way to uh, show investors that they should be backing you and investing in you. And remember, I mean, this crisis is the same for everyone, even for your competitors. So if you can find a way to stand out, then that says a lot about you. So I think this brings us to questions to kind of wrap up this, this very interesting conversation. What do you expect to be the biggest impact of this crisis, good or bad? 
in particular in your industry and how you work with your uh, with your clients or large corporates uh good about well i mean i think corporates will just need to adapt to technological change even faster than they wanted to or expected to or plan to uh, they will need to save cost and, and regain market shares very fast so i expect cooperation that really can afford it um, to double down on innovation for your company founders factory i mean any big impact you may anticipate clearly we've learned that we can work very effectively remotely which was a surprise to all of us so i wouldn't be surprised if going forward we were early adopters of a new way of working with either more flexible hours or a combination of working from home and at the office talking about the office we may rethink its use as well as potentially you know having more hotspots i can't really speak on behalf of our ceo henry but my bet would be on on that approach interesting evolution and for you personally, what's the next uh, big move or exciting things you will be doing after this crisis? Anything you want to share? <laughs> That's an interesting question, Ellen. Uh, I haven't given much thoughts about this. Uh, right now, I think we're still keeping uh, our heads above the water and ensuring that everyone in the ecosystem is, is surviving. But I mean, we've seen amazing businesses coming out of the past global crisis or uh, perhaps I should consider going back to my entrepreneurial roots and, and start thinking about the next businesses um, to start from scratch that we could be investing in for sure. That, that, that sounds like a, a good call uh, for ideas as well for our audience, you know, anybody with a good idea. Absolutely. Uh, they should come to us and we should work together for sure. Sounds great. Look, Cynthia, I want to thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And I would like to open up for Q&A. So um, if people have questions, by all means, please, we, we covered a lot of topics. So dive in and ask your question to Cynthia. Yes. Hi, I have a question. I'm Caroline. Um, I'm very interested with, uh, you mentioned in the new trends, uh, contactless solutions, future, future work environment, and you also mentioned retail and shopping. Could you develop a little bit on this area? Because uh, I just wonder a bit, what would be the future of high street shopping? Sure. So I don't know what will be the future of, of high street shopping, but there is two things there on, on retail. Uh, one part is I think the realization that we want to buy local. I think, you know, some people realized that we couldn't always wait um, for things that were coming either from China or other parts of the world. And I think, you know, people do want to support local production, um, local suppliers. So we are definitely going to see an increase of consuming locally. And, and I think that will somehow boost the high street and, and retailers on the high street. The other thing that will be boosted is uh, online shopping. I think, you know, we've had to rely on it a lot during this crisis because everything was closed. People realize that it's, it's the way it is now is not always convenient. If you just look at Amazon, if you uh, wait for packages, if you're working, it's a bit tricky to, to receive packages at the office. Uh, if there is no one at home to open, how do you do it? Obviously, there have already been solutions being worked on in terms of, you know, doors being opening, keys or, you know, spots where packages could be dropped. But I think, you know, there are going to be uh, more things happening there and maybe solutions around those parcels of packagings being put together for one location or leveraging existing retailers to receive those uh, packages and so on. Hi Cynthia, thank you so much for all the very interesting points you raised with Ellen just now. I'm Marianne and 
I would have a question, maybe if you allow me to, to come back on your point concerning the, the future for innovation. As you rightly mentioned, innovation has been put at the, at the core of the way we, we have worked and we have lived during this crisis. But unless I'm mistaken, you, you seemed to indicate that you were not so optimistic about the the future of all these bespoke initiatives that have been put in place to cope with the, with the crisis. And I was wondering if you had any, let's say, insight about what could happening in for the, the fintech sector and its relationship with the traditional uh, financial sector. Do you think that fintech at the end of the day would manage to still be part of the game or maybe we will be, go back to the old world? No, I'm actually very optimistic about fintech. I think there are many things that still need to be done. I think it will actually accelerate much faster than we anticipated. And I think whoever you know, saw growth in, in the past uh, several months will keep on, on seeing growth. I really definitely do not think it's a sector that um, will not continue on that trend. Um, I also think that for fintech, we're going to see more fintech for govtech, for example. So if you look at, I don't know, the states, the way they've had to do, they've literally had to issue checks. I mean, come on, checks. Like, you know, this is not something that we would be hearing in, in other European countries. You know, so, and this is not a tech problem. You know, we know how to access a bank account and do a bank transfer. You know, this is not technology that is work at science. But it's an infrastructure problem. Uh, a lot of governments haven't invested in their infrastructure because they haven't had to. But I think now this is providing you know, opportunities for fintech companies to work with government to work on the solutions. We've seen in Africa the adoption of uh, mobile payments that went very fast. So I would expect other countries to, to catch on. Hi, Cynthia. This is Lilian. Thanks again for your insight. A quick question. The uh, DNA of your company is about innovation between corporates and, and early stage businesses. How do you see corporate um, moving forward post-COVID into their appetite to really accelerate their transformation through innovation and investing in models like yours and in other models? But uh, how do you see their appetite at the moment across not only the UK, but maybe Europe? Sure. Well, corporates have different tools, right, to, to look at innovation. They can have uh, their own R&D team. They can have, you know, some, some of them have a garage or like an innovation office that sits outside of the core of the company. Some of them have CVCs, so corporate VCs. And so they invest, you know, themselves into startups. And some of them have all of that and us. So they do a lot in innovation. But the way, you know, Founders Factory fit into that system is looking at what could not be built in-house, what is not likely to be an acquisition and something that should stay outside of the company. I think the appetite is not going to go down. If anything, I think it's going to go up for the good reason that corporates are realizing now that if they want to survive, they have to be agile, they have to be uh, flexible, and they have to adapt much faster. So some of them have made that transition quite fast, and they've been able to scale, and they've been able to adapt during this crisis. And for some others, it's a bit more difficult. So I think the appetite to work with startups who can show them different things, show them different ways, expose them to different technologies, and also allow them to partner up or to test different things in different markets faster is 
definitely something that corporates are interested in. Um, so I would say it's there to stay and it's there to definitely increase. Maybe I have a question. You, you did mention, Cynthia, that you think the structure of some of the governmental packages might make it harder for diversity uh, funders to actually gain access to funding. That has always been a problem in, in the industry, in innovation. Women getting uh, you know, difficult access to funding because uh, they are ne not necessarily well represented uh, on the investment side. If this become more acute uh, with the structure of uh, the packages and, and maybe the crisis itself, what could we do to help uh, on that front and, and support better these diversity funders? Yeah, that's a very good question, Ellen. Um, what can we do to help? I mean, I know there are a lot of great organizations out there. I'm thinking of Angel Academy. They're an organization and a syndicate of angels, and they solely found female funders. So I know they've been extremely active, especially during the crisis, to go out and ensure that they would be supporting even more female entrepreneurs because um, on the margin, some of them did not benefit from the future fund. We have great people in the ecosystem um, doing their best. You know, joining those organizations to help the startups is one way. Money is not the only way. You can also support startups, you know, by being available to give them advice, to give them guidance, to make introductions. I think that's very important. People see tech sometimes as something a bit far away, only for nerds, and, and that's really not the case. And there are a lot of people in the corporate world that can absolutely help, you know, startups and can help them with, you know, their expertise and, and their insights. Uh, and their views of different industries where they could disrupt certain industries. So I think it's just, you know, building bridges, you know, between the corporate world and, and tech so that more people get involved in, in supporting those startups. Well, that's a great call to action for community as well uh, to get more involved and to find ways to, um, to support each other, I guess. Yes, any absolutely. Any other questions? No, I think, Hélène, the, uh, your point on, on, on diversity. And, and access to funding is, is key. I was going to uh, to touch that point, but I'm very I'm very happy. Uh, Cynthia uh, Cynthia has spared a, spared a few extra words on, on this one. Thank you very much for uh, for being with us today, Cynthia. Thank you for having you, uh, me. Thank you. Close the conversation with uh, with Helen. It's been a, it's been a wonderful moment for everyone. I'm sure the volunteers were able to participate to the uh, the Q and A. We're thrilled to listen to uh, everything you said today. All those precious pieces of advice are gold for our audience. So again, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I really appreciate your insights, your tips. I think you, you gave some excellent pointers to people in the audience and uh, I'm very grateful for that. Best of luck as we all resume uh, our life to maybe uh, a newly invented uh, normal, but maybe with some, uh, some new ways of working at Fondos Factory as you uh, alluded to. And thank you again for your time. Thank you very much for having me, Hélène, and thank you to French Tech for listening today. This is it. Thank you for listening to French Tech Podcast by La French Tech London. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more episodes on our website, frenchtechlondon.com, and on your regular podcast channels. See you soon.